Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. I am Kathy Spaulding. I'm one of the assistants here at New Day Community Church. I'm very excited to be able to share with you what God has put on my heart. Our senior pastor, um, Cameron Wright, is down in Vandalia at our other campus, and he's sharing um, what he shared here last week. And um, the Nicene Creed was a creed that was written in 325 A.D. And Cameron has talked about um, the creed, uh, kind of introducing it, and and I'd like to give you my um, my take on it. So um, this book it happens to be my Bible, and um, yours might look like it, might be thicker or thinner or smaller. My eyes can barely see this page, so um, or yours might be on your tablet or your phone, or you know we we carry our Bibles with us. Is it on? Hello. There we go. Okay. So um, this book, you know, if you read a book, you know, some books you can read in a weekend, and some books you can read, takes a couple weeks. And um, this book is so full of information and stories and, and all kinds of stuff that it would be really, you'd be hard-pressed to finish it maybe Maybe if you went straight through, has anybody gone straight through like in two weeks or three weeks and actually done it? I don't know. It's a pretty, pretty, pretty heavy book. Um, but what it means for us as Christians, you could boil it down and make cliff notes. And I think you could come up with the Nicene Creed. It is the essence of what this book represents. And, um, and so the Nicene Creed, what we're going to do is we're going to read it together. And um, so I'd like you all to stand with me and read this. And TJ is going to be in charge of the clicker. <sighs> so we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, Begotten of the Father before all worlds, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. For us and for our salvation came down from heaven and by the power of the Holy Spirit was born of the Virgin Mary and became human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate he suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. So, 
I'm sorry, I'm going to figure out these clickers here. He gave me two, and I don't know which one to use. Maybe not that one. Maybe this one. Okay, the backup's not working. <laughs> okay. Okay. TJ, are you doing that for me? No? One of them worked. Okay, so two weeks ago, uh, Graham was sharing with us, and he talked about um, the stanza that talked about how Jesus is divine. And then last week, Cameron came, and he shared with us about how Jesus was human. So um, he was divine, and he came down to earth, and he put on humanity. Um, he became human for us. And this week, we're going to talk about what did Jesus do. So what did he do? And um, I'm going to, uh, I, um, I have my PowerPoint all planned. And this morning during, on my way here, I felt like God said, I want you to go ahead and um, paint this picture. And I've been delving into the subject for several weeks now. Um, it's fascinating, the history, history, the historical part of it is fascinating to me. I'm kind of a history buff. I really enjoy it. Um, and, and I felt like it's important to know um, what, what we're going to be talking about today. The clicker's not working. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so um, we're, we're going to keep trying this here. Um, so if you were to ask, what did Jesus do? Um, a lot of people will say, well, he did miracles. And the very first miracle he did was he turned water into wine. And then he um, gave sight to the blind. Um, he also fed 5,000 people, two different occasions, with two fish and five loaves of bread. That's pretty impressive. He also walked on water. Haven't seen that before. I've seen the attempts at the, you know, the little videos that say, oh, look at them walking on water. Not quite the same, but um, Jesus also quieted a storm. That, that's pretty impressive. And so is raising people from the dead. And he did that on several occasions. But the Nicene Creed doesn't include all of those things. And I think that's important to remember that although Jesus doing miracles is amazing and it's impactful and it's, um, it's, it's, you know, it's something that you could brag on, that, that's great. But what's really important is what he did and what the Nicene Creed says is that he was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. So that is what Jesus did. And I'm going to take you through piece by piece, and there's a lot of pieces. <laughs> but before I get to that, I want to paint for you this picture that I felt God share with me this morning. And that is one of you know, when we think, if we've read the Bible, if you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are all Gospels, um, which means a different author wrote the story of Jesus' life, birth to death. Each one of them gave their, um, their story. This is how I saw Jesus. And with the four of them together, we get a really good picture of what Jesus did. And, um, but what we often don't 
realize is the the time or the setting that it took place. And that does play a role in, in each of these things that we include in the creed. And so the time, you know, was... Um, Judea and Galilee. So if you, if you can picture a map in your mind of the Mediterranean, and you have Italy, and there's Rome, and all of the area around there, the Romans decided they're in charge. And they went systematically around and conquered and took control of all of the areas around the Mediterranean. And they got to Judea and, and Galilee and, and all the places where the Jews were, and they were controlling them. And it wasn't as if the Jews said, oh, we are, don't know what we're doing, so come and help us. Okay? They were not thrilled about this. They were not thrilled that the Romans would come in with their culture, their ideas, their ways, their beliefs, their idolatry, and be in charge of the Jewish people. That wasn't something the Jewish people were real, real thrilled about. And so you have animosity against the Roman rule. And so we see a lot of times in, in um, the Gospels when 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 people are looking to Jesus and you're like, you're the Messiah, you're going to rescue us from the Romans. Because the people who followed Jesus were like, wow, that's what he's going to do. He's going to get us out of this Roman rule, not realizing the bigger picture. Well, the Jewish people that were in leadership were not real thrilled with Jesus. He came in and he's upset, upsetting the apple cart. So they're, they're not really happy with him. And he's making claims about things that just didn't make sense to them. So you have some division amongst the Jewish people. They don't like the Romans. And the Romans are really done with the Jews because they cause a lot of trouble. They keep having uprisings and they, they keep balking things that the Romans are trying to put in. I, I read one um, excerpt that said that they brought in a statue of Caesar and the Jewish people like freaked out because they were not supposed to have any graven images. And so they just went after, went after, went after the ruler. And finally he relented and said, fine, I'm just get rid of the, get rid of the statue. You people are too much trouble. That's going to cause you, you know, I got to get this, I got, got to get you quieted down. And, um, so that is the picture of what was going on politically and socially and culturally in that setting. And then we have Jesus come onto the scene. And um, um, Jesus, you know, the, the creed goes on to say that he was crucified. And um, crucifixion by the Romans was saved for the lowest of the low the slaves, the rebellious ones, not Roman rebellious people. They didn't, they didn't, you didn't crucify a Roman citizen, but anybody else, and especially the lowest of the low, the people that are considered not worth anything. Those are the ones you crucified. Now, um, uh, and crucifixion, we all know crucifixion is, well, I, I hope you all know, is where you nail someone to a cross and allow them to die. That's how, how they put them to death. And it really was a cause of, um, it was a picture of this person is being rejected and despised. That word crucify would have that connotation. And in scriptural language, it actually means to utterly destroy one's power 
or ruling influence with intense pain. That's what they were trying to do. You are causing trouble. We're going to crucify you and make sure you have no power. We're going to take away anything that you had. And that's what they did to Jesus. In Matthew 27, 26, it says, So Pilate released Barabbas to them and then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. And in Acts 2.36, it says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be Lord and Messiah. And a Roman statesman named Cicero is quoted as saying this, It is a crime to bind a Roman citizen. To scourge him is an act of wickedness. To execute him is almost murder. To crucify him, an act so abominable, it is impossible to find any words to adequately express. That's how the Romans pictured crucifixion. And the creed goes on to say, it was for us that he was crucified under Pilate. There we go. In 1 Peter 2 through 24 or 224, it says he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Now the word carried there literally means to put on an altar. Wow. I'm not sure what happened. Thank you. So he personally carried our sins, and carried there means he put them on an altar. And what did he put on the altar? Is our sins. And sin can mean several things. It can mean to miss the mark. It can mean, it does mean several things. It means to violate God's law. It means to wander from the path of righteousness and honor. So sin was put on Jesus on an altar and in his body so that we can be dead to those things, that unrighteousness, that dishonor, that missing the mark could be dead, so that we could live, which really means live could be translated worthy of his name, for what is right. And right is a condition acceptable by God so that we might be worthy of his name accepted by God that's what Jesus did for us and then the creed goes on and it says he suffered in Mark 15 17 through 19 you know what, I'm going to stop real, real quick. So I just want to explain on, the, on when he, um, Jesus, um, he had the last supper with his disciples, and then he went to the garden to pray. So what actually transpired there was he's in the garden, and the Jewish leaders came to him, because they're really done with him saying things that are causing trouble for the Jews, and trouble with the, their religion, and, and what, what and, and really claiming to be God. And so they, um, now they have a set of rules, the Jewish people did. And one of the rules was that you don't take people 
secretly in the middle of the night and hold a trial. Okay? Well, the Jewish leaders took Jesus in the middle of the night and tried him and found him guilty of blaspheming. They also had a rule that said you couldn't execute anyone. Well, that one they decided to pay attention to. So in the morning, they decided, well, we've, we've just deemed him guilty. He must die, but we can't do it. So we're going to take him to Pilate, who's the governor of the area. And so they bring him to Pilate. And Pilate is like, okay, so what's he done? Oh, he claims to be your king? Okay, you know, how, how is that affecting us? And, and the Jewish people are like, you've got to do something. You've got to do something. It, it's, like, it's like treason to Caesar. And he's like, hmm. You know, he, Pilate wasn't completely, um, he didn't believe everything the Jewish people said. They, he knew something wasn't right. Something didn't smell right. But he also didn't want another uprising. I mean, we already had the thing with the idol, you know, like, like let's not cause a bunch of ruckus. But this was Passover season. And so Jews from all over had come to the city to um, take part in Passover. So there was extra people there. The Romans had to hire extra guards. They had to bring in mercenary. I mean, they had brought in people from, that weren't even Romans to come help keep control of the city. And another person happened to be there was Herod. And he was actually the governor of Galilee. So we've got Jerusalem here and we've got Galilee up here. And so he'd come down also to be like, see what's going on in this area and all these people are there and and while he's there you know he's been wondering about this Jesus person he's heard about him and and whatever and um Pilate finds out that Jesus is actually Galilean he's from Galilee so he's like oh, I got an answer to this I'll send him to Herod Herod can deal with this and then I don't have to and so he he sends him off to Herod who's actually like in another room in the same, I mean, it was, he was in the same city. It wasn't like they sent him to someplace else. He was right in the same area. And Herod tries to, he's like, all right, let's see what this guy's got to say. And Jesus won't talk to him. And so all these things that he's heard about, you know, he can't get anything. And then he's like, you know what? I don't want to deal with this guy. So I'm sending him back to Pilate. It's not my deal. You know, we're not, we're not in my city. We're not in my area. So you can deal with him. So he comes back to Pilate. And Pilate is like, okay, what do you, seriously, this guy hasn't done anything. Like, well, he's, he's committed treason against Caesar. And so really, rather than fight this whole people getting upset and having a rebellion, he says, all right, fine, we'll, we'll go ahead and flog him. And the people are like, no, we want him crucified, crucify him, crucify him. Well, during that time, there was a custom during Passover where the Roman leader could um, exonerate one person, and they were fit, they were um, ready to execute Barabbas, and he was really bad. And so he figures, all right, I'll just give him between the two. Of course, they won't let Barabbas go. And um, well, the crowd did. They said, no, well, you know, give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And so they, um, and so they, so they send him to be crucified. Before that happens. These are the passages. So in Mark 15, 17 through 19, they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. And in Mark 27, 26, it says, So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a 
lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. So in both of these passages, this is just a small glimpse of the suffering that Jesus endured. Now, suffering actually means to bear pain in your mind and your body. So when he was being mocked and taunted, he was, you know, emotionally, he's taking that. But he's also taking a a beating in his body. And remember, I told you the Romans were really done with the Jews, And Jesus was a Jew. So really, some of the Roman soldiers are looking at this Jewish guy going, we're going to make an example of him. And then we're going to flog him or scourge him. We're going to make sure that he's so broken that none of the rest of those Jews will decide to step out of line. So they, um, and they caused such suffering that he actually couldn't carry the cross Um, all the way to Golgotha, which was one of the things that they did. They put the cross beam across their back, and the prisoner who was going to be executed would carry that. But he was so broken in his body, not broken literally, but so in pain that he couldn't carry the cross the whole way. But suffering also means, in, in these instances, when you see suffering, Jesus allowed or permitted the suffering to happen. And we remember from when, when he's in the um, desert and Satan comes to taunt him, he says, well, you have the power to do this. You have the power to do that. Jesus had the power to stop this, but he didn't for us. And then he died. In Luke 23, 46, it says, Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with these words, he breathed his last. And in John 19, 32, So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. And they did that because it was getting close to the Sabbath time, and the Jewish people were like, we can't leave people hanging on the cross during the Sabbath. we got to hurry up and get this done, so let's make this quicker. And so they were trying to make sure they, they died faster, and so they broke the legs of the two men who were being crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, so they did not break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. And that word died can mean depraved of life, without life, but it also means empty or vacant. Okay? That, that his body was empty or vacant. And I want you to remember that, because in a little bit later I'm going to bring you back to that. <clears throat> and the creed goes on and says, and was buried... Now, in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-seven, we have to remember that the, the Sabbath was quickly approaching, and they needed to hurry up and get these people taken care of. And as evening approached, approached <laughs> Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release him. Jesus took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth, and He placed him in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Now, um, buried 
means to be hidden or concealed or overwhelmed. But it also is where we get the word bury the hatchet. And that actually means to forgive and forget. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus took our sins and was buried so that we could be forgiven and our sins could be forgotten. And the third day, he rose again. In Mark 16, 2 through 10, now remember I said that um, they, they had to hurry up and put him in the tomb so it wasn't on the Sabbath. So a couple days later, the women came back to say, okay, well now we're going to do what they would do, kind of like, um, oh, I just lost the word, you know. Embalming, yes, to do the embalming process. Okay, so very early on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now, risen means to arouse from the sleep of death, to recall to life, but it also means to return to a solid state. And remember I said when he died, he was vacant. The essence of who he was was gone. But when he rose, the essence came back. And he returned to a solid state. And Cameron talked about that last week too. And uh, according to the scriptures. And this, um, we talk about scriptures, a lot of times when, when the Bible talks about scriptures, it's referring to sacred writings. But it also means, you know, historical documentation. And when you and I look for trying to find out about things that happened, we look for historical documentation. And I, you know, um, what's interesting to me is um, that uh, I, I know that John F. Kennedy was shot. I saw the video, so I know that it happened. But I also know that Abraham Lincoln was shot, and there's no video of that. But there is historical record. People saw it happen. They witnessed it. They wrote it down. And we know that those things are true. They're actually in school. They're called primary sources. You know, we have primary sources. Well, the Bible is also a primary source. It was written down. People wrote it with firsthand knowledge of what happened. And those things have been used by archaeologists and historians to cross-reference other things. They use the Bible because it is a historical text. So those things really happened. But what's amazing is when they're talking about according to the scriptures, we're talking about all those things we just talked about were told in the Old Testament hundreds of years before. So hundreds of years before, we knew that he was going to, for us, suffer and die for our sins. In Isaiah 53, and this is kind of lengthy, but so stay with me, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. 
He was despised, and we did not care. Yet, it was our weaknesses he carried, and it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have let God's paths we have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. Okay, I'm pretty sure that no Roman governor or citizen or soldier went back and looked at the Old Testament and said, hey, let's make sure we do this exactly how it said in the Old Testament. And yet, okay, well, that's only one passage. What about Psalm 22? And these are portions. I picked out only verses, some verses. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. They have pierced my hands and feet. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Wow. That, that was predicted hundreds of years before. And exactly what God said was going to happen is what happened. Even that he would be buried in Isaiah 53, 9, it says he had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Now, wait a second. He was buried like a criminal? How's that? Well, it was hastily done. They pulled him off the cross and they stuck him in a tomb really fast. They didn't even embalm him. That would be a way a criminal would get buried. But... He was put in a rich man's grave. Joseph had come and he had money and he had a grave. And he said, I'll take care of him. And then even in uh, Psalm 110, it talks about what is going to happen. That the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand. This is God speaking to Jesus. Until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. The Lord will extend your powerful kingdom for Jerusalem. From Jerusalem, you will rule over your enemies. So in Psalms, he's saying, this is what's going to happen. And then, and he in, ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. In Mark sixteen nineteen, it says, when the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And that taken up is, is also means ascend, and that means to proceed from an inferior state to a superior state. And at the right hand, that means place of authority. So he's taken up from an inferior state to a superior state in a place of authority. That's where Jesus is now. So what did Jesus do? Romans 4.25, this sums it up. He was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life 
to make us right with God. Handed over, literally given over, can mean he allowed himself. He was handed over. People say, well, he did that, you know, that the Jewish people took him and the Romans did this and Jesus allowed it. He had the power to stop it and he didn't. He allowed himself to be handed over for our sins so that we could be made right with God. And the word right there is translated an act of God declaring men free of guilt and acceptable to him. That's why Jesus died so that we could be made right, that we could have our sins forgiven, that we would be accepted by the Most High God. So, in closing, I want to just say, you know, the other part of the story that I, I didn't, um, I didn't finish was when Pilate sent Jesus to be crucified. He said, you know, go ahead, scourge him, and send him to be crucified. And then he walked over and washed his hands and said, "But it ain't my fault. I got nothing to do with this. I'm washing my hands of the whole deal." You know, wouldn't that be so easy? To just wash your hands. Problem is, it isn't that easy. And you can't wash your hands of that. We still say today, he was crucified for us by Pontius Pilate. Pilate will have to answer for that. But Jesus did it for us. We are the sinners that he sacrificed for. We are the ones he gave his life for. And it says that Jesus would have left the 99 even if for the one. You're the one. Jesus gave his life so that you could be made right with God. You can't wash your hands and say, oh, well now you can't. Because I just told you. <laughs> this is what was done for you. You have to give an answer. You have to believe or not believe. But one day you will have to say, I heard and didn't answer, or I heard and I did. I want to be right with God. And you can have that opportunity even right now, today. You have that chance to say, I believe what you said is true. And I, I want to give my life to you because you gave your all for me. You know, this book... It's an amazing book, and it has a lot of stuff in it. But if you went down to the local library, I'm not sure where you'd find it. You might find it in the reference section. That would be cool, because it's historically accurate. You'd probably find it in the religious section, because that's what they consider it. But if it was in my library, it would be in the romance section. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that you could be reunited with him. The greatest love story ever told. And so you have a choice. Do you receive his love today or do you not? So I'd like you guys to stand with me. I just want to pray for you real quick. So, Father, I just thank you that your word is true and that we, you sent your son 
so that we might have life and life abundantly. And not just someday, but today. That our life could be made right today. That you could wash away all the things from our past and all the things that we've done wrong and you could make us clean and white as snow. And we just thank you for that today.